Welcome to episode 48 of Flying Podcast. Today I'm visiting my uh, old stomping ground of Barton Aerodrome to talk to one of the guys in the control tower. The chap that's featuring on uh, the podcast is Mark Knowles. And if you've ever landed or taken off from Barton, chances are uh, you will have spoken to Mark. So the first thing uh, I asked Mark to do was to tell me about Barton, or City Airport Manchester as it's often called, uh, and to tell me about the type of air traffic control it has. Yeah, certainly Steve. Um, City Airport, formerly known as Barton Aerodrome. Yeah. Um, only you, you'll find in all the books as Barton Aerodrome, but yeah, City Airport is its title more we're known as now. Um, Grass Airfield in Manchester, not far from Trafford Centre and City Centre Manchester, which is great. Um, we have eight runways, all grass, um, and we operate a aerodrome flight information service here under the title Barton Information. So if you're calling up inbound, it's Barton Information is the call sign, not City Airport Information, as some people may say, but Barton Information and it's Aerodrome Flight Information Service. And what position do you hold here in the control tower? I work in the control tower as a FISO, or Flight Information Service Officer, um, and that is a licensed um, title by the CIA, which permits me to provide an AFIS service here at Barton. And I presume you've had to undergo some sort of training to become a FISO? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. Um, it's a bit of a, not a funny one, but as, as a FISO, you can self-study. In fact, as, to be an air traffic controller, you can self-study as well, but there are colleges that do it. Um, and it, it's undertaken in two stages. You do your written part first, and about, once you've passed that, that issues the licence. And then from there, you can find an AFIS unit that's willing to take one, and you do your validation part of it, which is like the on-job training part of the job. Um, so it's done in three stages for your written. You've got two exams for NAV and MET, and then you've also got your um, law and procedures bit of it, which is CAP 410 and 427, if you want to look them up. Um, but once you pass all three sections of that, you then obviously issue with your paper licence. What is the specific role of a flight information service officer at um, a busy licensed aerodrome like Barton? Um, oh, we're, obviously we're on alerting service as well. But that's, uh, that's part of the job title. So if something went wrong, there's somebody on the airfield to do something about it. Um, but mainly we provide what, as, as pilots know, as an aerodrome flight information service. Yeah. Um, so we are the kind of eyes and ears of the ATZ while we're active. Yeah. Um, so we're watching out for traffic, uh, updating pilots with traffic information and aerodrome information as well, so like the runway in use, weather conditions, pressure settings and anything else that may affect them. On top of that, we also provide a basic service when you're outside the ATZ. Yeah. Um, it changed a few years back to a basic service and stuff and um, pilots. It's a bit vague what a pilot understand that as, but basically, yeah. once you leave the ATZ, it, we will not provide you with any traffic information. However, we'll give you uh, any information on closures of airfields, weather, anything else that yeah. could affect you whilst you're flying. Um, even like if you're aerodrome, you're flying too close and we knew about it. Yeah. Prior to it, or once you're aerodrome, we can inform you. They are more like uh, advisors, aren't they? Yeah, I think if you're in America, it'd probably be known as not a traffic advisory service because that's slightly different but you're getting onto those lines of advising pilots. So it's not about uh, instructing pilots necessarily, it's uh, more about keeping them safe? <clears throat> that's correct, yeah. It's, you get some people that will fly from say the likes of Liverpool around here to follow traffic and maybe used to being told the traffic information yeah. wants to fly but we can't do that. But once you're on the aerodrome you do control the traffic on the ground? Yeah, that's correct, up to the holding points um, from point of taxiing, so apron or grass parking here, whatever, up to the holding point. Um, you're under our control, and helicopters taxiing as well. 
it's pilots might not fully understand it sometimes, but when we ask them to report lining up on a runway, um, the reason behind it is that we can control a helicopter crossing, so they're still under a taxi instruction on the crossing a runway, but obviously you can still take off. So we tend to advise people in that case that there is going to be the part in traffic ahead of you, yes. you know, and it, it works like that. I remember uh, getting into the habit of not doing a readback uh, when you'd advise me to, uh, for example, take off at your discretion. What do you advise pilots to do? Um, readbacks are important. It, it's not only just for the FISO's point of view as well, but also anybody else who's flying yeah. knows that you've heard what that instruction was or whatever that request was or a bit of information. So you're clarifying it for everybody else and it builds up that um, situational awareness for everybody. Yeah. Um, some pilots, when you speak to them, think, oh, I can't be bothered to talk to the FISO, it's just a FISO. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's, you're not just talking to us, you're talking to everybody else who's listening out, and that, that's important because you know, you've heard about accidents in France and stuff where they've not understood, and yeah. it's important that everyone is aware of what's going on. Could you give me a typical procedure? Let's say I'm uh, parked up on the grass over here and uh, I was about to take off. What's the routine? Uh, well, how would we expect it to happen? Um, we work slightly different here, that we've got a ground-based computer system where you can get your pre-flight information from. Yeah. Um, some of the fields that have got APHIS might not have that. Yeah. They might have a briefing board or something, but here's, here's the APHIS. Um, and a pilot, when booking out, we would expect them to check and read that and at least write it down, or the, the runway in use in the pressure settings, yeah. for two reasons. Firstly, if it's busy, it cuts the RT down. Secondly, there may be restrictions in place, like taxiways closed or whatever, and we hope you'd also read that. If you call up with that, then we know you've kind of been there and you've read it. Yeah. If you don't, then we expect that you're just walked in off the street, basically. And, you know, it's so when I was fueled up and uh, ready to taxi out, I'd call you up and say, for example, uh, I have uh, information Charlie, QFE, whatever, and uh, runway uh, 24 right, and you'd say, yes, correct. That's it. We do expect that there are some requirements. You've got to state the runway in use. You must read that back, yeah. pressure settings and then anything else like a certain direction and stuff. So you may get some people that don't always read it all. Uh, or might call up with information alpha, say they're going on a local flight, but ignore to say the Q&H. Yeah. We then ask for it back, and you, sometimes you feel like it was, you've been a bit awkward saying it, but it's a requirement. We need to know you've got the correct pressure setting. Because yeah. there has been instances where they've read something that they flew from the day before, and it's completely in, inaccurate. You know. yeah. So once you've done that you'll issue taxi instructions. Yeah, that's correct, yeah. There'll be a clearance limit or a holding point. So it may be in the case of round to the north side of the tower or to the hold for runway two seven, which would be alpha three in this case, or up to zero nine. Um, and obviously that is a clearance, so you should read that back and we'd expect that. If you don't we will question it and say confirm up to whatever point because we need to know you've understood what we've said. Uh, just going back to the ATIS, that's available on the computer screen downstairs in the control tower? Yeah, at Barton, um, we've got it on computer screens in the flying schools reception and obviously in the tower for ourselves, but also broadcasts on the, the internet. Yeah. Um, so before coming down to the airfield, you can have a quick look, see what the weather is, get an idea what runway is in use, if it's out of your limits and stuff. Um, and also there is a Twitter feed, which uh, just gives the basic unofficial observation that we're giving so you can see what the weather is. Fantastic, mainly if you've landed away somewhere. Yep. You can have a little look, see what's going on back at the airfield before you set back off. And it's just any, any internet device, really. What's the procedure for flying into Barton? I know some people uh, are a bit apprehensive when thinking of flying in here, but it's, uh, it's not that bad, is it? Barton's not, no. Um, obviously, we're under Manchester's control zone, which puts a lot of people off. 
but it's not really because it's only from 2,000 feet above below that it's the ATZ and it's clear so you can transit through us coming down to us with ease um, if you're coming from the south we normally expect a call from Thalwell Viaduct or Warrington that's a good reference point yeah. um, inbound from the north there's the Reebok Stadium up near Bolton that's a good aiming point yeah. um, or coming over sort of the M62 Saddleworth somewhere around that that's, that's a good I mean technically you shouldn't transmit more than 10 miles away but Obviously, the sooner you can give us a call, and yep. we can expect to brief you on the airfield information. That's, that's all good. Coming up the low-level route, you don't have to talk to Manchester at all, and uh, they don't expect you to. No, you don't have to. Um, you you can't. Yeah, there's a listening out squawk that you can use. Seven three six six is a useful one. Um, some people still get a bit confused about that. They squawk and talk to Manchester or some don't squawk it and just listen out. The main reason behind it, it was, it was the first one in the UK, I think, to trial it. Um, and it basically tells the control at Manchester that you're listening on this frequency, but I'm not going to bother you because I'm just flying up the corridor or around the five miles within the zone boundary. Um, however, should something get in your way or you stray a little bit too close to the airspace, they can call you up very quickly. Say so aircraft squawk in 7366 over this location, which you should know you are. Um, you say, yeah, it's me. You know, what's the problem or what can I do, you know, and they'll pass information to you then. And they're normally really good about it. For anyone who's, who's never been to Barton before, I would uh, not let the fact that Manchester's south of us or Liverpool just to the west put you off because they're great controllers there. Yeah. Um, and if you're in doubt, speak to them on the way up. You know, just say first time up the low level route and they'll happily keep an eye on you. Yeah. You know, it's better for them to be know about you than it is for you to get lost and accidentally stray into airspace. And, and we work here closely with both units as well, yeah. in that we do sit-ins there and some of the controllers come down here and see what GA is all about. So there's a good working relationship in there. Same for if anyone needs to go to the zone as well. It's, it's, most people might even think about going through it, but on occasions it can be arranged in advance. And, yeah. you know, and if that's the case, that's what you're thinking of doing. You speak to us and before you go flying and we'll see, assess what the situation is and see if you can do that. Are there any things that you could say uh, that you would expect from pilots uh, that would make your job uh, any easier? Um, oh, you probably get everybody says about PPR. <laughs> you know, you spoke to controllers or FISOs over PPR. And, um, so it's prior permission required, that's what it stands for. Um, and Barton needs, well, you do it by telephone. It's certainly advisable in the winter. Even for base pilots that have landed away as well, because it could rain and it could close the airfield and you've landed away and we've been unable to get hold of you and you set off, come back to bat and somebody realise you can't land here. Yeah. So, uh, some, you speak to some pilots about it and they think, oh, it's just an inconvenience, can't be bothered. And to us, it's good because we, at least we know about you. We expect you at a certain time. If something happened on route and you didn't turn up, we'd know to start looking for you or do something about it. Yeah. Um, also allows us to brief you. Uh, that is an important part of flying, I think. So, you, know, you do all your pre-flight planning. Uh, some people will just set off and end up at Destination X, but you don't know what's happened there. They might have a runway closed because of work or you know, something going on. So it, it's an important thing, I think. Plus, it breaks that barrier down again as well. We've already spoken to you on the phone, so when you call inbound, yeah. it's like, well, odds are you'll get one or two of us that are, you know, you've spoken to on the phone. It might yeah. be the same guy on the radio. When I was learning to fly, the ATC element was perhaps the scariest part of the training. Are there any ways in which you could suggest people uh, could get over that hurdle and perhaps uh, learn a little bit more about it? 
Uh, after all, you're uh, you're nice guys here, aren't you? We're all nice guys and girls as well. I, um, yes. Um, go and speak to your traffic unit. Well, be it air ground, AT, full AT, CFE, so just go and speak to them. That's the best thing you can do. And most of them are, well, we're all friendly. But it's, you know, it's, there might be a few barriers, like if it's restricted in, like, say, Manchester or something, you might have to prearrange it, but they'll be most welcome to let you in there. Yeah. You get an insight of what's going on, you know, and certainly if it's your base airfield, then it's, it's always good, I find, to, because we like to meet the pilots as well. Yeah. So we know who flies what, and you get an understanding about them and see what, see what they're like, and it can be helpful. Yeah. It's even so if it came to that situation when there was an emergency, it's if you know the guy and they're on the radio, then it's a lot more easier, I think. Than the sad thing in this country is uh, you're not allowed to rebroadcast ATC transmissions, are you? No, that's correct. Um, even listening in on those handheld scanners is, in theory, illegal. Um, a lot of people obviously do it, and I don't think anyone's ever been prosecuted for it, but it's, it is illegal under the, you know, under some law or another, but um, however, you could sit in your aircraft, turn your VHF on as long as you've got an RT license, yeah. then you can legally listen in and transmit on that radio. So it's a bit of vague, really, because if yeah. you've got an RT license, you should be able to use the handheld to listen in. You would have thought. But. What tools do you have up here in the control tower? Uh, you don't have any radar. It, no, it's all visual. So it's under the visual flight rules, um, and you could say it's like if we can see you and you can see us, well, as long as you're in the VFR conditions, then that's all we really need because we're watching what's going on um, so it's a visual, a visual circuit um, in the tower itself we have obviously VHF radio which is linked into like an intercom system so we use headsets which takes down background noise and makes it a bit easier um, and in front of us we'll have what's known as a flight progress display board mm -hmm. um, strip board some people will call it and it basically represents what's going on outside the window so you will have in front of you plastic strips in which we'll write the aircraft detail down. So it might be the call sign, registration, your type, where you're going to, from, persons on board, and anything you've told us as well. So your relevant runway in use, whether you know, pressure settings, that's all recorded. Just as a clarification, really. And the whole purpose behind it is that should I have to come off the radio, I'll hand over to my colleague, they can see exactly what's going on. Yep. Um, you might, as an untrained person, look out the window and see three Cessnas all identical flying in downwind position. But according to the strip board, there'll be an order of which one's which. So if there's a confliction, like someone joins on base leg or descends incorrectly, whatever, you should be able to work out who is going to slot in with which person and advise as necessary. That's the whole reason behind it, and it works well. You can get at some airfield the pinboard system, which works slightly different. But we found strips work best, and most our traffic units as well will use strips, be it Manchester Heathrow or somewhere like that. Also, you do have the uh, the Aldis lamps here, don't you? Light signals, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, as you line up for on final approaches, it check for light signals from the tower. <laughs> You're supposed to know them off the top of your head. Uh, it, it's simple, really. They're green for go, yes, yeah. you can do it. Red for no. Um, if you flash a white at you, that confuses you, <laughs> we find. Confuses us as well, because you have to remember. But they, they do get used. I mean, it could be that your radio's failed while you're out. Mm -hmm. And certainly, button, we'd expect you to join and go, however that was the case. I've got to look for the single indicator or single square, see what runway's in use and direction, and join the circuit as normal. Um, a bit of a procedure behind that is if you were downwind, and we've noticed that you were there, we'd shine a white light at you, which means after the steady green, you know, safely for land, and then as you come on to final approach, we should then give you a green light if it's safe. 
if it's not or the aerodrome's closed or whatever it'll be just a solid red light yeah. and it can flash it as well it means slightly different things but you, you get the gist red no green yeah <laughs> you seem to be a relaxed sort of guy what sort of personality would you say you need to be to uh, to be a, a physio personality for fiso oh dear <laughs> yeah um <coughs> should ask pilots what do you think fisos are <laughs> Uh, you've got to be you've got to be able to have a laugh, I think, as well. It's serious, obviously, it's regulated. So you, you've got to um you, you've got to take the rules seriously and know what you can and can't do. Um and abide by that as well. And also I'd say is you've got to be able to stick to a gut reaction as well, because if you're in doubt you keep changing your mind and you're not necessarily switched on enough to be doing it at that point, you know, it's it's it should be gut instinct, yes, no, you can, you can't do it and like that. You've also got to be someone who's logical as well, I think, because we do sequence on the ground as such. You, although we can't control people when they're flying, um, you've still got to work out when there's going to be available gaps in the circuit where you can get somebody away and provide the relevant information to that as well. So you've got to, you know, so you've got to think things through. But overall, it's, yeah, relaxed as well. And it can get stressful. It can be very busy at times. But you've got to also be able to have the flexibility to not necessarily drop the rules, but maybe shorten your RT down. Yep. Whereas on a quiet day, you might give the full spiel every time. When it's busy, you need to be able to adapt to that and keep it a bit shorter. Does it get stressful in here? Do you get many emergencies? Many emergencies? Um, yes and no. It obviously depends. You could say it's the, the Sod's Law thing, just three in a row. It tends to happen. I mean, there might only be minor things like someone's got a roughing engine or the undercarriage has not come down properly, or it's not showing it's down, you know, so, you know, um, so you've got to be able to adapt to that, to that situation. It could be the case of that you're just on, up here on your own, it's, you know, you've got two fisos in, one just happens to nip to the loo or something, you know, you've got to be able to deal with it on your own all of a sudden. Um, to aid us in talking of what we've got up here as well, we do have a checklist of what we would do, um, so in learning the aerodrome fire service or, you know, but it's, it's, it's a big thing as well, pilots, don't necessarily like to own up that they've got a problem straight away. Mm -hmm. And when I've spoken to people in the past afterwards, I said, just say, say you've got a problem. Because Sod's law is that something's happened. It might even be something minor, but you can tell by the voice because you can tell that person straight away is distracted. Yeah. Um, you may get a question from the FISO or controller or whatever saying, confirm everything's okay. Because we might know you fly every day. We know how you, what your voice is like when you fly. And all of a sudden, you sound distant and a bit confused or distracted, it could be that something's going on in the aircraft. And I would say as well, people are reluctant to use a pan or a mayday. And just do it. What I say to people is just transmit it. So three words, you know, and it, it grabs the attention of the FISO, any other pilot that's flying as well. And it's like, I've got a problem, I need to get back to the airfield quickly or whatever. And you will be given a priority as such, you know, everyone should hopefully stay out your way so you can get back in quickly. It alerts us. We can put emergency procedures into practice and, you know, get the fire service out. And if it's worrying you enough that you deem to be coming back because of it, yep. then tell us about it. And it's better to have everybody else in place, ready, should it develop and become a, a serious problem. Yep. Um, or, you know, it, it's, it's just better. It's just, it speeds things up, really. You know, and we've got, we've got full-time fire crew here. Um, they're all trained. They're very good. Certainly at Burton, we're... We've already switched some of our local emergency services as well, and they all say to us every time we speak to them, call us out, it's not a problem, yep. we'd rather have you there. 
pilots might think, oh, I landed and there's five fire engines there, whatever, but yeah. end of the day, we're there to get you out if it goes wrong, so it's better to have them in place. And what sort of hours do you work here, and uh, do you actually get paid, or is it uh, a volunteer role? It used to be. Um, when it very first started, there was a lot of volunteers, part-time staff here. Um, but it's more structured now in that we've got three full-time officers on the payroll at Martin. Um, there's a part-time officer who covers Sundays primarily, also weekends and maybe some evenings if need be. And then there's, there's three members of management that also have FISA licences. So if one of us is off or you know, someone phones in sick, there is somebody to always cover so we can provide it. Um, <clears throat> we are licensed from 8am till sunset. So in winter, that can be at 10 to 4. Um, in the summertime, that could be up to 10 to 10 at night. However, the last couple of years, we've been putting a cap on that to 8, so 8 local p.m., um, which seems to work well because, you know, it's everyone can get the flying and you can still get to France and back in that time. Um, so that's how we work. Um, Shift-wise, it's 10 hours for us in the, in the summer. So we'd start at 8 till 6 or whenever we close, minus 10 hours. And in the winter time, um, so once the push of summer time's over with, we drop down to an eight-hour shift day. And that'll be, yeah, again, eight till eight hours on top of that, or closure minus eight. And it works well. There's always an overlap two fees, so it's up here. It's good. <laughs> Mark Mills from City Airport there. Okay, a big thanks to Mark and also to Nick, the operations manager, for uh, sorting that, that out for me. Uh, I put the web address for City Airport on the Flying Podcast website and they do have a comprehensive list of documents relating to the airport's operations on there. So if you're thinking of flying in, uh, you really should have a read of all the stuff on the website. Uh, all links, including that one, can be found at www.flyingpodcast.co.uk. Well, that's it for episode 48 of Flying Podcast. As usual, if you have any comments, suggestions for future episodes, or if you'd like to take part, you can email me on steve at flyingpodcast.co.uk. Thanks for listening. I'll speak to you again soon.